Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the Weekly News Roundup. Saudi Aramco took over the top position as the world's largest corporation, taking that top spot away from Apple. And this has been due to the benefits they've been able to achieve with increased profitability as energy prices have risen this year. So substantial growth for the uh, Saudi Aramco Corporation. They're members of OPEC, and OPEC is an oligopoly, which means that they control the prices for world oil. And it's based on production output, so if they limit the output, they can, of course, drive prices upwards. And Russia's been keen to maintain low output from OPEC because they, of course, are members of OPEC, and uh, Saudi Arabia have supported that so far. The G7 did request at the Davos meeting in Switzerland that uh, OPEC should push up production to mitigate the risk of price inflation in energy. But of course, as a supplier, it might be in your interest to keep the price high and take the profit. But it will mean hardship for everybody else. The UK government has levied a windfall tax on oil and gas companies. And according to the Office for Budget Responsibility, this is likely to raise around £5 billion from the spring. The OBR said it could be as much as £7.8 billion this year, with oil prices of $94 a barrel and a wholesale gas price of £2.80 a firm. Russia's military operations have cost the country 8 trillion rubles, about $121 billion US. And of course that cost will only rise. And they've also suffered from the sanctions being imposed by the West after their invasion of Ukraine. So don't expect that will get better anytime soon. So Russia really needs the oil revenue to pay its debt, meet its commitments. And oil has gone up in price per barrel in the past year by 100%. It went from about $60 a barrel to $120 a barrel at one point. It's fallen back since then a little bit because of increased output. OPEC seems to be withstanding pressure with calls from the G7 to increase output. So we'll have to see what happens there. Soaring oil and gas prices over the past year, of course, have left the Gulf states with uh, substantial increases in revenue. Iran has seized two Greek oil tankers in one of the world's busiest shipping lanes. This is apparently retaliation for the capture of a Russian-flagged tanker loaded with Iranian oil last month. The prudent warrior was boarded in the Straits of Hormuz, and Iran 
Japan's Revolutionary Guard took control. The naval forces seized the two Greek tankers in violation of maritime rules. The second vessel is believed to be the Delta Poseidon. They're both Greek flagged ships. About a quarter of the world's supertankers are owned by Greek companies, according to Lloyd's List. Sony said it expects to supply imaging sensors to 15 of the world's top 20 global automobile manufacturers by 2025. The company's ambition is for electric vehicles to be autonomous driving vehicles. It's part of the Sony mission to develop such vehicles. China's tech companies have done particularly well during the lockdown period. And Alibaba, which is one of the biggest listed on the Hong Kong stock market, reported profit increases of around 12%. And there are other tech companies too that have done particularly well during this time. So, some light at the end of the rainbow. Baidu is China's search engine. It's the Google equivalent, and that's up 14.3% too. In the digital world, in the non-physical space, is the place to be, obviously. David Gugina, Senior Vice President of Innovation and Automation at Walmart, United States, said that uh, they're expanding drone delivery with up to 34 new sites in six states by the end of 2022. And this expansion will give Walmart the potential to reach a million U.S. customers in households in Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Utah and Virginia. Expect to deliver a million packages by drone annually. Customers will order from tens of thousands of items between 8 in the morning and 8 at night for drone delivery in as little as 30 minutes. The delivery fee is expected to be around $3.99 and the weight limits about £10. Now some of the big uh, retailers in the United States have been caught catching a cold over the rise in inventories that they've uh, pursued over the past year. They tried to mitigate the risk of running out of stocks of various lines and as a result many of them have heavily invested in inventory and so they've almost doubled the working capital on inventory. Now you'll recall in the Future of Supply Chains edition that I spoke about I wasn't a fan of just in case and here is an example of just in case in practice. So what happens is you stock just in case you can't get the goods, demand drops for some of those goods and some of those lines, and you're hit holding the inventory. And that's what's happened to some of the big retailers in the US. So we'll have to watch and see how that impacts profits later in the year. I'm guessing that they won't be the only businesses in this situation. Now, it was reported in the United Kingdom this week that Jaguar Land Rover are considering moving operations away from the UK to Slovakia. And the main reason for this appears to be that they think the government in the UK is not investing enough in the development of gigafactories for batteries to support their operations. So that's the major concern. There was much discussion at the World Economic Forum at Davos in the last week with regard to how many multinationals 
are thinking about realigning supply chains along geopolitical fault lines. And they say that this is risking a new economic iron curtain for further price spirals. Well, a bit dramatic, the language, but still. The report is based on a survey of chief economists. And they're concerned with fragmentation in the markets, spiralling wages, higher inflation and food insecurity. Now, all those things are real concerns, but the biggest concern is not in that, which is uh, energy security. Now, the big real problem driving all of these costs is energy. Surprising that they've not mentioned much about it. It's a sensitive topic, and the other thing in the news with regard to energy, of course, is the disagreements by some countries in the European Union about how to tackle that problem and whether to turn the screw on supplies coming from Russia. Now, for many, this is a difficult decision to make, but nevertheless, it's one that they will have to face up to. And as the European Union does decide to limit the amount of oil and gas coming from Russia, that will no doubt put pressure on prices elsewhere. And since they've taken action over the past week, it's noticeable that the oil price has gone up again to $120 a barrel. So there are some tough times ahead, I think. With regard to food security, obviously those markets are volatile. There'll be problems again getting some crops out of the ground in different places. And that will definitely be the case in the United Kingdom with uh, the post-Brexit labour problems on the farms and in agriculture generally. Of course, we've still got shortages of labour in all kinds of categories, including HGV drivers. The World Food Programme has a monthly procurement cost estimate and uh, they say that's increased by $23 million as a result of the Ukraine war due to the impact on wheat prices alone. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is predicting that there'll be 1.8% added to inflation for advanced economies in the current year. I, th- I think I'd be inclined to take these estimates with a pinch of salt because they're problematic in some ways because we're looking at the past to predict the future and actually, as we know, the current situation is moving rapidly and probably too rapidly for the banks to keep up in some senses. Inflation is already, of course, at 9% in the United Kingdom and it's reached higher numbers in the European Union in the past week. So Europe, United States... And of course, the United Kingdom have some relatively high numbers, particularly by recent standards. It's likely that supply chains are going to keep adapting to the change and find ways to be agile and flexible during this period. But it's going to be some economic pain, not for gain necessarily, but to just remain in the same position as we are currently. It's expected that markets will fragment more in the coming year. And I think the main pressure is energy. Until they sort out the energy situation and the problem with that, then everything else is a moving feast. And some of the solutions being proposed, you know my feelings on this because I've mentioned them in the Future of Supply Chains and in other podcasts in recent weeks. The just-in-case approach to build inventory Not a tremendous policy prescription because that's likely to worsen the situation and it could lead to pressure on balance sheets and profitability in businesses. So uh, so I'd be very cautious about that one. There is one caveat I would mention here and that is on critical assets. So for things 
like oil, gas, and supplies which are essential to maintain the running of an economy, then certainly I would probably push up inventories on those items. That is sensible. Expanded supply base, yeah, I think that's probably a good thing to do just to mitigate the risk by expanding the supply base, but that's not without cost too, because it takes time to set up and uh, deal with new suppliers. So it's uh, it can be time consuming when you're trying to deal with all kinds of other things too. A lot of people talking about vertical integration were appropriate And if you vertically integrate, of course, that gives you greater control over the supply chain in theory because you're able to move things through your own supply network that you control. But that's only in theory, I think, because in practice, some of that comfort that you gain from a vertically integrated business could also be disrupted because it depends where different parts of that vertically integrated business are located. And they're not going to be oblivious to the economic conditions that are impacting those chains. Transparency is definitely something to work on. And you will have heard me talk about visibility in supply chains being perhaps the most important thing. And that requires digital transformations and more investment in technology. And I think that's a good strategy to adopt, whichever part of the chain you're in. So... There are things that can be done, but uh, you have to weigh up carefully the risk and the balance of that risk for your organisation. Organisations that have capabilities, data, agility, responsiveness, are able to assess risk by monitoring data and intelligence through the environments in which they operate. And of course, capacity to employ at speed to act quickly in a given situation through existing networks is going to achieve some kind of supply chain advantage over those that don't. A few weeks back, you may remember I reported on the P&O ferry debacle where the chief executive, Mr. Hepplethwaite, decided to fire all the existing crews and replace them with lower cost labour. And that caused all kinds of outrage. And the government said that they would uh, do everything they could to take action because the company broke the law in the action that it took. And this week they announced that they'd removed the final contract with immediate effect from P&O Ferries. So they've got no UK government contracts to carry goods between the UK and Europe. So I don't know if that was such a large own goal that uh, it will have a lasting impact or whether the economics for P&O work. But it did seem a bit of a drastic measure. The Grocer magazine in the United Kingdom has reported that because of the need to establish food security, pressure is being put on the industry to be innovative. Vertical farming has been suggested as one of the solutions that could be adopted. Healthy salads, key products such as tomatoes and so on could all be grown vertically. And that could be for the the whole population. Apparently the yields could be 250 times greater than traditional farming methods delivering quality produce. And it could be that those products are available all year round. 
and that would give the United Kingdom a post-Brexit food security position. This type of farming could be adopted, of course, in any country. It's just that uh, the grocer is suggesting that this could be a solution for Britain's food problem. It's likely that the technology could also be used to grow soft fruits. So within a decade, the necessary food to supply the nation could be grown locally. In vertical farming, it uses less water. In fact, about under 5% of the water that's required for traditional farming. It doesn't need any pesticides, herbicides or insecticides. And of course, renewable energy could be used 100%. So it would be a lot more efficient and it would achieve the objective. That's the suggestion in the grocer. Apple is about to move iPad production to Vietnam amid the uh, problems experienced in China. So that's one of the solutions that Apple's adopting to keep the supply chains running. The iPad will become the second major line of Apple's products made in Southeast Asia. This move will diversify the supply chain, but also recognise the increasing importance of Vietnam. Apple shipped about 58 million iPads last year, with the majority of those devices coming from suppliers in China. So to overcome the disruptions that they're currently experiencing, suppliers will build up additional supplies and components, printed circuit boards, mechanical and electronic parts, especially those made in and around Shanghai, where they've had real problems with COVID-related restrictions. So, interesting. I mean, China will lose quite a bit of business, I would have thought, over that uh, that shift. And Apple will certainly strengthen the resilience within the supply chain. So there's an example of risk mitigation in practice. In the United States, the White House has appointed a new port and supply chain envoy to work on disruptions to strengthen America's supply chains. Retired General Stephen R. Lyons will work across every level of government, labour and industry, says the White House. So it remains to be seen what uh, the General can do. And finally, just a brief update on the misguided situation, the retail fast fashion group in the United Kingdom, which went into administration. I said last week that uh, Boohoo were likely suitors and could well end up buying the company. Well, they were suitors, but they didn't buy the company. Mike Ashley's retail group ended up buying the company. They own a lot of other fashion brands too. Apparently, Mike Ashley's Fraser Group bought the fast fashion brand uh, Misguided almost at the last minute out of administration when talks had fallen down. Sports Direct and House of Fraser, which are part of the Fraser Group, bought the intellectual property of the retailer and the sister brand Menace for about £20 million. Misguided will continue to be operated by administrators for a transition period of about eight weeks, and it then plans to run Misguided as a standalone brand within the group. This all arose because Misguided was unable to meet its supplier commitments, couldn't pay them, run out of cash. Michael Murray, who's the chief executive of Fraser Group, said that they were delighted to secure a long-term future for Misguided, 
and said it will benefit from the strength and scale of the Fraser Group's platform and operational excellence. He did also recognise that Misguided's digital-first approach regarding the latest trends in women's fashion will bring additional expertise to the wider Fraser Group, so there could be some synergies there. Many suppliers had said they'd not been paid for months, so it comes to a crunch point, as it always does, when there's no cash. Often in these circumstances, it's the small suppliers that get really badly stung. But it doesn't say what they're going to do about them, whether they're going to pay them and how much they're going to pay them. I suppose that'll come out later. Well, that's it for the news roundup this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll see you in the midweek edition next week. And in the meantime, you should uh, get hold of the future of supply chains and take a listen to that if you haven't already. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. to Chain Reaction, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.